Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is an audiobook proofer, editor, and masterer. Sean Williams, thanks for coming into the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad you can make it in. What are you drinking tonight, Sean? Tonight I am having a red blueberry ale. Somehow I have a sweet tooth and that seems to work. A blueberry ale. So so this is actually a blueberry-flavored alcohol, alcoholic beverage. Flavored beer. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, when I saw them, I thought they were originally a cider, but actually they are considered a beer. <laughs> Interesting. Malted beverage with blueberries. All right. Well, that yes. sounds good to me since I'm a big blueberry fan, but uh, since I don't drink much beer, I don't think I'm going to be going out and getting one. Is that something that's local there? Or, uh, is I that... don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if it is or not. I don't think so, but I just remember them popping up a few years ago, and uh, normally my wife and I get ciders, and we... Uh, saw those and we sometimes get the variety packs and we just mix things in. I was like, wow, that's really good. I'm not a super beer drinker. I'm like a lot of friends of mine. So, you know, I kind of like maybe a little bit of a sweet tooth, but um, I had a blueberry beer in Boston, like actually out of Boston microbrew. And it actually had blueberries in the bottom of the glass. Nice. But that was the greatest thing. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. And yeah, I, I actually really like it. <laughs> That's cool. So what kind of cider do you usually get? I, I kind of going off on a tangent here just because I'm also a fan of uh, cider. In fact, a couple of years ago, or uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, my wife for Christmas got me a uh, cider making kit. And uh, it was a lot of oh, fun. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of fun making some, uh, some uh, hard cider. So what kind of cider do you normally get? Um, we kind of mix it up. I know uh, we we go. Uh, we sometimes get Strongbow. Um, I think Round Virginia they have. I think is it. Oh my God! It's something. It's not. I think a Rolling Rock beer, but now I've totally forgot the name. Bold Rock maybe or something. Huh. That's local. It seems like a lot of places have that. And um, I remember when I first discovered cider because, like I said, I was I'm just not a big beer drinker. Um, I think Woodchuck was probably the first one. But, you know, we kind of like to mix it up. And it's just, like I said, it's one of our favorites, especially in the summer. We like to go out on the deck and throw some food on the grill and just sit out in the backyard and just kind of knock down a cider, listen to tunes and <laughs> just yeah. kind of relax. Sounds like a great afternoon to me. I know that. Yeah, um... it's, it's after a long day, it's just kind of like what I like to do. It, it, this has been a rough spring. It's been raining, it seems like, nonstop since uh, May. <laughs> and, uh, well, I hope we get some of that out here sometime soon because we haven't had a yeah. rain since February, but uh, but time will tell. I, uh, I'm also a fan of uh, Ace Pear Cider. I don't know if you normally do apple or pear or kind of mix it up, but uh, I, I like pear cider as well. I'll have to try that. I mean, we, our selection at the local grocery store can be hit or miss, but we have, I guess, there used to be a store called Total Beverage, and I guess now they're Total Wine, and they have a much bigger selection, and we kind of just check things out as we go along. Total Wine is great. I was making a run to Total Wine every week or two. Um, they have they have a good selection out here in Tucson, but I'm sure it varies in different parts of the country. Yeah, it's, yeah, because I, I, I remember, like I said, when it was Total Beverage, I remember that. I mean, then they just disappeared, and now it's Total Wine. I guess I'm assuming it's the same company, and yeah, they just have a much bigger selection. Yeah. So but we go there, and I, that's another one. We'll just kind of like when they have those packages where you can do samples, we just load up. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a, I, I always like trying new things, so so that's pretty cool. Well, I am joining you tonight. This is a first for uh, for the Speakeasy. I am joining you tonight with some Perrier and fresh lime juice. Yes, that's Ooh. right. For the first time in the history of the audiobook Speakeasy, your host is having a non-alcoholic beverage. <laughs> I, uh, you, you, you win the big prize, Sean. I, uh, I have been feeling a little under the weather and even a hot toddy just didn't seem like the right thing to drink today. So I, I went with a, uh, I, I like to call it a virgin gin Ricky, uh, basically just the, <laughs> just the Perrier and lime and skip the gin. So, yeah. uh, anyway, that's, that's what it's, that's what uh, I'm drinking here tonight. So thanks for coming in tonight and cheers. Oh, oh thank you. no ding. Eh, a little one. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so where are you from, Sean? I'm from Northern Virginia. Um, pretty much born and raised here, which is kind of weird because Northern Virginia is a very transient area. Transient area. You're not going to see a lot of people who are local, but we do exist. Um, <laughs> I was actually born at Fairfax Hospital, and about 33 years later, my son was actually born there. So <laughs> that's great. Keep it in the family. Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't think it was recognized. I remember at the time trying to get there, uh, my first wife at the time, we were trying to get to the Lamaze class, and apparently we don't have that salmon instinct, so I wasn't exactly sure how to get there without a map. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm like, you know, a lot of in this area, you have a lot of people who come to work for the government. You have a lot of people who are in the military. They come in or they leave, and it's just it's a very transient area. So the fact that my son and I were actually born in the same hospital is kind of neat. You know, it's a bonding thing, even though completely different from when I was actually there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, so first there, I should say. Is is there a big uh, military presence there? Yeah, I mean, I actually, before I did audio engineering, I worked as a DOD contractor and actually did spend some time working in the Pentagon. Um, and there is, there's Fort Belvoir, and uh, there's also, um, whew, what else is, Quantico Marine Corps Base was south of where I grew up. And we could always tell when they were doing training exercises. You just hear, you know, explosions and everything else going off. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's, I mean, again, with the Pentagon here, you have a lot of military that come through here. And, like I said, I was a DOD contractor. So it was kind of a, it was an interesting culture. It was kind of a, it was fun, but, you know, it's <laughs> totally different from what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I didn't realize when you said uh, Northern Virginia that you were, like, right, right next to the Pentagon. Oh yeah, DC metro area. I mean, ah. it's pretty much it. I mean, it's it's kind of like the southern part or the northern northern Virginia and the southern part of Maryland. It's just it's a it's a huge area. Yeah, and that's uh, funny. I I don't really think of uh, Virginia when I think of around DC. I'm always thinking of Maryland. Uh, part of that is because I had a nephew who uh, worked there in that area for a while in uh, Silver Spring, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so I always think of Maryland. I don't really think of Virginia. Yeah, it's yeah. It, Northern Virginia is almost like a it's a world unto itself compared to the rest of Virginia. <laughs> um, it, it's, I, mean, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's just like you've got rural Virginia, which is pretty much and well, there's like three different Virginias. There's the Northern Virginia here around DC. You've got the Eastern Seaboard uh, in Norfolk, and which is like where you got Navy bases, and that's kind of a big area. And then you've got the pretty much the rural area and center around Richmond and everything else. And that's basically your old Virginia, the Southern part Old Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, I mean, you know, pre-Civil War areas and all that stuff. So it's, it's a totally different, uh, it's, 
basically three states in one almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just heard today that apparently, once again, there's going to be something on the California ballot to split it up into three different states. I'll be interested to see how badly that fails, as it always yeah. has in the past. <laughs> but uh, it does kind of sound like there are three different three different states there, uh, the way yeah, you describe it. Yeah, we've never had any ballots, I think, to split it up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, thank God for that. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful out here. I mean, even though I've grown up here, whenever I've gone out of town, especially when I would fly out of town and come back in and just coming over, it's just green. You come over the Blue Ridge Mountains and as we would come into Dulles or something. It's, it's, it's a very beautiful state, but it is definitely a different world when you get outside the uh, D.C. metro area. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's quite different. So uh, so you grew up there. Did you go to school in Virginia, someplace else, skip, uh, skip college altogether? No, I went, uh, like I said, I grew up here. So uh, my wife, who's a narrator, we actually went to high school together. Great. Uh, not too, I actually, strangely enough, I live closer to where I went to high school now than when I was actually attending high school. Um, <laughs> Because at the time it was there was a lot of overcrowding in school, so I had to get bussed almost an hour away. Oh wow! Uh, now it's just down the street, um, even though it's still a different county. But you know, um, that's it's just kind of like we're we're near Osborne Park now, yeah. more closer than we were when we both went there actually. And that's um, funny. and I went to George Mason University, which again is actually closer to where I am now than when I actually was. I didn't. I actually commuted back and forth to school for about five years. So I, yeah, I did the five-year program instead of the four. <laughs> and uh, it was. It's. It's. It's just. Uh, this is home, and I mean, uh, I don't think anyone had heard of George Mason until about twelve years ago, when their basketball team actually made it to the Final Four, and no one had ever heard of us before I, that. <laughs> I don't follow sports, and I had never heard of George Mason until uh, somebody that I was interviewing here in the Speakeasy told me about yeah, George Mason. It's actually a big, it's kind of like a big school, but around here it was always considered a commuter school because again, you had, Fairfax is a huge county and you have a lot of other counties and people would go there and they would drive. I mean, you had more parking lots than dorms, at least at that time. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it's, it, it was a good school. I, it was, it, I, I enjoyed it. And, um, so what did you do there? Close. Uh, when I was there, I studied history, oddly enough. Um, I don't think that's odd. Yeah, well, I started off as a computer science major, and uh, it was, I mean, I was actually doing well, and I kind of enjoyed it, um, but this was the early 90s, specifically 1990, 91, and um, we would go into the computer labs, and these were literally in the basements of the building, and, you know, you would have to do printouts, and they would actually have to go to a whole other room, and they were those basically dot matrix printers on the green paper and everything like that. I and, remember them well. Yeah, and then there would be people there that seemed to live there, and they would just, I mean, one time I had a computer lock up on me, and it was um, not responding at all. And at the time, I really didn't have too much computer experience. I mean, they were starting to become more prevalent as home computers and PCs, but at the time, it was still... You know, not everyone had that yet, um, unless you had a Commodore 64, which I did have, but that didn't really help me much <laughs> in computer science. Right. Um, and this guy was just started yelling at me because I just turned it off and turned it back on. You know, computer freezes, reboot. Sure. Um, and this guy, he just he wasn't even uh, a, one of the monitors or moderators or whatever, whoever worked there. He's like, did you did you log off? Did you log off? I'm like, no, I'm not exactly sure how I could do that considering. You know, there's there's absolutely nothing to respond. Hit keys, nothing's happening here, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so whatever I was doing must have locked up the computer. 
Um, and then I had a conversation telling my neighbor that story. He goes, you'll find that the people you go through your major with are the type of people you will work with for the rest of your life. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I, I knew really that story. I knew, I knew that story was going so, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And that just really sunk in. And I was like, you know, I, I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I really loved history. And I had a history professor, um, my freshman year and, um, he was just this, it was the first time I'd ever been in a class when it was, he actually captured the whole human drama of history. He would come in, he was just kind of awkward man. He just, he wouldn't say anything. He'd just walk in and he would just start writing on the board. He would write columns and columns of words. And basically that was the structure of what we were going to discuss that day. And this was, I believe it was a world history course, um, history 101 or something like that. And he just, he would turn around. And then he would just start telling us these stories. And it was just, he just had this great way. He would kind of keep talking and you're just riveted and you're just listening to everything he's saying. I mean, you, and, you know, he just had this really soft voice and, and then this would happen. And then, you know, and, and he captured the whole thing was it's a, it's a human drama. It's not facts. It's not dates. It's not this. It's not, you know, it's people and these are their stories. And, you know, that sounds and awesome. It's the end of class. And he would, it was almost like he was building to this crescendo. And he would get to the end of this class and he'd go, and then we will discuss that in our next class. <laughs> and we're all like, what? <laughs> That's great. Way, you know? way, to, way to make a cliffhanger out of act, yeah, it was actual really, history. It was I think I took three, maybe three or four classes from him. And he was actually a part-time because he actually taught at another college, like on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And he taught at Mason on Thursdays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I had another one, another teacher who was just, you know, he was just like, um, there's a, uh, he just had this great sense of humor. He's a big, big dude. And he said he had he not been a college professor or college professor, you know, his friends thought he would have been like the archbishop of DC or something like that. <laughs> and he was just, he was, uh, I mean, he just was a great teacher. Just a lot of fun to be around. And the first project he gave us was you do have to write a paper in this class and it can be about anything you want. You know, as long as it's related to history, but it can be anything because it's all history. Everything it contributes. So I actually wrote a uh, a paper on the birth of the electric guitar because I'm I'm just a, I'm a big guitar fan. I mean, I just love guitars. I have a massive. I'm not very good, but I just love them. That's, <laughs> that's great. Have, so like, so who created the first electric guitar? Um, I mean, it's kind of it's there's it seems to be a lot of things that were happening at simultaneously. I mean, you obviously had Les Paul's considered one of the modern. He took a railroad tie and he built a body around it. And then, you know, he took electromagnets and put them under the strings. And that was kind of one of the first amplified ones. Um, then you also had Leo Fender's probably the one that created it's considered the father of the modern electric guitar that's funny because, i mean i know both those names i definitely would have thought Les paul but i figured you know there's probably a story back there it's like the telephone and everything else uh, different people come at things yeah, it, sometimes it, at the it, same time yeah there was a lot of things kind of it seems like simultaneously and but fender was probably the first one to really mass produce them on a big scale um mm -hmm. starting with the fender broadcaster which became the telecaster which is pretty much, I mean, you, you see a lot of country guitars played. It's been around since the 50s, but that was probably their first, you know, assembly line model. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, and I wrote this, you know, history report, and it was just, it was wonderful. And then at, you know, the professor says, you know, a lot of people wrote some really great reports. One wrote a uh, report about the history of the electric guitar, and I'm just like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> you know, even though you say my name, there was just sort of like kind of, 
You know, I mean, because it was, again, it was something that I guess no one had ever bothered to touch on before. And uh, so around midway through sophomore year, I was taking uh, assembly language programming. And it's, you're like wondering what the hell it is. Oh, no, yeah. I know exactly what assembly is. Yeah, that's it. Right? I, I, have, I have you. taken a class in assembly language programming. Oh, it was and it was a night class. And I had not taken a night class before that. And it was just, you know, what would end up happening was you'd have people coming in who actually worked in the field. And they would come into the class at night. And somehow the class would devolve into this professional and the professor having these one-on-one -on -one conversations about things, you know, that we're not really at that level yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was just, it was just a mind-boggling kind of, and that was probably the first class that I, I really struggled with. And then a friend of mine who actually, one of my best friends, he actually said, you know, What's funny about that is I've never used that class. He actually did get the degree in computer science. He's like, that's the one class I've never really actually had oh, to use. Oh, sure, yeah. I, I, had the like, I, I had the same experience. I took an assembly language programming class, and um, it, it was vaguely interesting. And then when I was working at a place, there was actually somebody there who did write assembly, but it wasn't me. And if I could avoid doing anything like that, I would, because holy cow, talk about something that is... Um, you know, it's, it needs to be written a certain way and that's fine. And if you can do it, that's great. But, uh, it, nobody else can look at it and have any clue what it's doing. So and um, it's just one little thing's off. Your whole computer freezes up and locks yep. up. So you end up getting yelled at by some guy in the computer lab or something. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, no, it's, it's uh, I, I'm not at all surprised to hear somebody say that they took that class and never used it. So it was uh, really, cause I remember the, the other thing that was weird about it is when I did, I took a class with Pascal. Oh yeah, Pascal. Was language we use, and not, and again, that's another one that's not actually used as a programming language. Everyone was using C or C plus plus, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but that's what they started you with. I guess that was like the first language. But I mean, the, I guess the syntax was similar. You um, know, I actually I, I, still messed around with programming over the years, kind of. You know, I think I think that Pascal was considered uh, a a good learning language. Yeah, and and I think that there are newer languages now that are still considered that, and that are just as just the same as Pascal, not really used much, if at all. But they're good languages to learn from so that you can at least understand how the whole thing Yeah, and works. I think it did. It was really good for the structure and how to, I mean, because it really was just problem solving it right. more than anything. And it was just kind of like, okay, because everyone's like, well, computers are doing it. I'm like, well, no, but you kind of have to give the computer a map to follow to yeah. understand how to actually solve the problem you wanted to solve. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I, and like I said, I did well. And of course, but you know, I still just, there was that love of, you know, the, the storytelling, the history and, you know, everything else. And it was well, just, it know. sounds, sounds like you've uh, now gotten into something where there's once again, a lot of storytelling, but uh, what happened in the meantime? So you got out of school, you got a history degree, decided not to go in the direction of computer programming. And what did you end up doing? Well, for a while, I mean, I was, I mean, towards the last year of college, I was just working kind of a, I needed a job because I actually worked in a shoe store through high school and college, mm -hmm. you know, which was really led to a lot of Al Bundy jokes during the time. <laughs> um, no doubt. <laughs> they, they were just every one of them funny, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but again, it was, it was, but after that, I kind of, um, then I think I went to just work at an office company where we just, where I just did actually work processing services and everything else before. Um, I think it was late around 97, I was like, okay, I actually need to probably, I need a real job, you mm -hmm. know, one that actually has potential in future. And another really good friend of mine says his dad's company was hiring 
And so I applied and went through the interview process. And, and this is how I ended up becoming a government DOD consultant. And it just happened that the CEO of the company at the time, or one of the founders, he actually had a degree in history. Oh. And he was looking, he was always kind of one of those, I like to bring people in from various different backgrounds because instead of just having you know, one set of people and they all have a sim- the same viewpoint, you know, let's bring in people from different fields, different backgrounds, you know, and get different look- looks because we would go onto military bases and try to help them improve their processes. Sure, yeah. And uh, so that ended up being kind of what I ended up doing for the next uh, 15, almost almost 16 years. Wow, quite um, a while. Yeah, and I, and again, when, it was nice because the first is within a month of hire, I guess starting, I was off to Hawaii for three weeks, um, Rough which life. actually sounded wonderful until you realize you're actually on a military installation, which isn't as wonderful as the nice beaches of Hawaii. But, yeah, a little you know. a little different having to be there in work clothes instead of a pair of trunks and flip flops. Yeah, and then, I, <laughs> then after that, that was the one time I went there. And then after that, I went back and forth over the next couple of years to Alaska, most of the time in the winter. <laughs> so and i have lovely pictures somewhere probably at you know at my mom's house somewhere at pictures of the ice sculpting festival in fairbanks alaska where the lens was literally freezing up the longer i was out there taking pictures it was, wow. it was it's amazing watching the people do ice sculptures i mean it was a really fascinating experience but it definitely won after a while yeah no <laughs> yeah. kidding so so that's what you were doing for 15 years. And then after that, is that when you got into uh, to engineering audio? Yeah. Yeah. What When I was um, around the time, I think I was kind of, I've always liked recording. Uh, my friend Jeff, who was the computer science major, we would actually, when we got time to hang out, we would actually go into his basement and we would do play around. I had electric guitar. And even though we would actually try to write actually songs or I'd have ideas, it would just always turn into a complete goof fest. <laughs> um, and really what ended up making it to tape was just the most, you know, insane things. It was just, you know, sometimes just ad living nonsense. And, uh, <laughs> but we, we would, we loved it uh, and stuff like that. I mean, it was, um, and we would do things. He had like a little Fostech four track cassette thing where it would basically take a two track cassette or turn it into four tracks, you know, yeah. but it only played one direction, obviously, because, um, because the other side, you know, since it's basically track, it's cassettes were stereo. So you have one direction, it's two tracks, the other direction is the other two tracks. Oh, but, got um, it. Yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of the first we were actually do, you know, so you, but the cool thing was you could overdub, you know, you could layer and you always hear the stories. Oh, the Beatles, they always recorded on four tracks. Oh, of course we can do this. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And no, not really. But, um, so, and we just kind of, again, like I said, I, I was, you know, big guitar music fan. I mean, it's just been that passion that's just kind of always there. Um, and I just loved it. And we and I never lost that passion or love for it. So um, we would do that. And around the, then I, uh, I got married to my first wife around, or I met her around 99 slash, well, first in 95. And I didn't, I was too scared to actually talk to her. And <laughs> Cross paths again, I think around 99, and I was, you know, um, not quite as scared. Smitten with her, and I asked my friend, I found out she had gone to the same college as my friend's wife, this my friend Jeff, and he had gone on, and he was like, I was like, did you know this girl? Her name was Wendy. Did Beth know her? He goes, uh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, she was her sweet mate. I'm like, really? He goes, 
yeah, she was at our wedding, the one that you kept saying you were in love with, but you were too scared to talk to. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So we had, you know, we hit it off. She was a, she loved music. She actually had a music degree and we hit it off. And around after we got married, um, you know, I was still had that itch and that bug. We were very big vinyl fans. We loved going to used record stores. I mean, we would just, and we would buy the cheesiest stuff. I mean, I think we ended up, we have all the ABBA albums and she would love her teen, you know, idols from the eighties and stuff like that. And that was kind of one of the, we just, that was one of our free time things. And then around 2004, I found there was a school in Rockville, Maryland, um, Omega Studios, and they actually, actually offered classes. And for the next year and a half, I would basically commute in DC traffic. And if you've never experienced it, it's, it's a nightmare. I think the probably only thing worse might be LA, but it's, it it's, it's been a long I time, but I remember it was bad. Yeah. And I would go to a studio and they had three studios and it was just, you know, we would learn about all the aspects of the recording process. And I loved it. We actually worked on 24 track, two inch tape. We did do some digital, we did Pro Tools and stuff, but the focus actually we worked on tape and that was so much fun. I mean, you just kind of feel like you're like, in a, I mean, it was an actual recording studio, but there's that kind of connection like you feel to all the classic records and everything that you listen to. Oh, yeah. And I did that for a year and a half. And of course, midway through, I found out I was going to be a dad for the first time. So right after I finished, my son was born. And um, <laughs> And I, so I was like, I'm not going to do a career change. I, you know, and about a year later, I thought about it, but then we found out that she was, my wife was sick at the time with Huntington's disease. Oh. And that changed everything um, because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the disease. Uh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, most people, they've heard of it. They might have heard of Woody Guthrie. He's the only one that's of any real fame that anyone might have heard of that's actually had the disease. But it's it's it's, it's terminal. So... Suddenly, you know, your roles go from I have to keep my job, have to raise my child and become a caregiver all at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So that, it seemed probably not the best time to think about, well, yeah, I'm just going to throw my career away and do yeah. something totally different. <laughs> I, I interviewed at this music store and like music store is not the same as recording, but it was the pro audio department. And they had a lot of big connections and contracts to, you know, a lot of studios and anyone who came through town, if they needed anything, that's where they would go. And I had to pull my hat out. Of, I said, you know, I, I, I'm waiting to hear back on the test results. And they came back positive. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I don't know if I would have gotten it, but I, you know. Yeah. So that, because for the next several years, it was just, you know, watching someone slowly decay. Yeah, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to hear that. That I know that that is yeah, always difficult. It was, it was rough. I mean, it's hard when you have, a, you have one child growing up and one adult going backwards. And, you know, so that kind of, and we were sort of basically just kind of doing everything we could just to get through, get survived by within a year or two, she was unable to work and we worked at the same company together and all this stuff. So we went through all that of her going on disability. And, and then by the time she had kind of within around 2008, I reconnected with a friend of mine from high school, this girl who I was, you know, I used to always think about, God, I wonder whatever happened to her. Mm -hmm. She was really cute. And, you know, we were in French together and her name was Tiffany. And, you know, and we actually connected on Facebook. Matter of fact, my friend Jeff, who seems to have every important role in my life. Yeah, I was, was going to say he shows up every two <laughs> yeah, or three minutes here. Like, <laughs> someone contacted me out of the blue and says, why aren't you on Facebook? And I had no idea what it was. I'm like, what the hell is that? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I called Jeff 
And he's like, oh, yeah, it's this. And I was on there. And, you know, they were, and she was, Tiffany was talking about you and wondering how, you know, what they were wondering what happened to you. I'm like, oh, Tiffany Kellerman, her? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So I signed up. And over the next year, and year, you know, we basically became each other's massive support service. Ah, <laughs> you know? Well, that's good. Yeah, we were kind of like there for each other. And then, she, you know, and, um, and again, my wife at the time, her father had passed away in 2004 from Huntington's disease. Her grandmother had passed away from it. And my oh, mother in I didn't realize there was a, a genetic component. It's a genetic that. thing. So my mother-in-law, who had gone through it with, um, you know, had taken care of her, uh, Wendy's father, and my sister-in-law, who was there for the whole thing, they're like, you know, they could see I was really kind of just under pressure. And they're like, they actually encouraged me to go visit Tiffany in Texas. And that became kind of a relationship. So, I mean, people are like, what? why would you do that? But I'm like, it's hard to explain. When you have Huntington's, you're kind of in this mindset of your internal it's kind of a combination of parkinson's dementia alzheimer's and oddly, oddly enough um autism mm-hmm. and you know and so the person you remember is they're physically there but they are not yeah and it's real yeah. easy to um look at a situation and um look at it from the outside and say, why would you do that? Um, but until you're actually living through a specific situation, um, a lot of times it's, uh, you just can't see why something it, would, would be a, a good choice. And it helped because my in-laws had been through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they knew what I was going, especially my mother-in-law, because she remembers how isolating it was when you become a caregiver and you need, and it's nice to have someone who's there for you, a support system and you need a break. Yep. And so, Years later, you know, Tiffany, you know, we had, we ended up, we have a daughter, we got married. She actually had relocated out here. And even though Wendy and I had gotten divorced because of, you know, the way things were set up, especially this is pre the ACA. I mean, it was kind of like, oh yeah, if she has to go into home, you could lose all this, you could lose all that because these laws were set up for people who are senior citizens and they're late years. Right. So you're, Expect- you're, you're better <laughs> off getting out of yeah, a situation we- that you're in, even though that's not what you would normally choose to do. Yeah, but it took its toll because over the time, what ended up happening was, even though Tiffany came out here, we both took care of Wendy along with her mother, who was like in her 70s. She's still alive, but she's, but we took care of her and we did everything we could. It cost me my job after 15 years. (laughs) They became either like, you know, we just don't have anything for you. Here's two months severance. So I was like, okay. And um, Tiffany is good friends at the time. You know, here we are. I mean, she just relocated here. We have a, we have a child. We're taking care of someone. And we have a, we also have my son. And we're kind of, what the heck do we do now? Because I didn't have the luxury of just going on to these jobs, traveling and doing all this stuff. Um, so her friend, uh, Vikas, I think it's, if we call him Vic. I'm a, I'm a, I probably said his name wrong. You know, but he's a narrator. And he works for Audible. He's just recently went to the Hall of Fame. But he told Tiffany, look. They knew each. I mean, he, they knew each other in Texas, and they'd done theater together and everything else. And they're best of friends. He's like, "Have you thought of doing audiobooks?" He's like, "You know, Sean's got this skill set. You've got this skill set. Try it." And it just took off from there. She auditioned for things. It took a while, but she we got ACX. I had all this recording equipment. I had mic preamps. I had microphones. I even had a plexiglass booth that I just for myself. I used to record vocals whenever I would actually get a song somewhat completed. And, and you had some good training behind you that you yeah, hadn't actually, been able to put into practice. 
Yeah, I had training and it, you know, and I mean, and the one thing I remember when I took that training, it was here, we did a editing class and they're like, we did an editing class, but we use tape, you know, eighth inch tape. Yeah. A little different <laughs> there. You know, that kind of mark it with a white marker and, you know, cut out when you want room tone, you actually have to set it to the side and paste it all again. And they're like, if you can do this, you, you know, oh yeah, you can do digital. Yep. And we just took off from there. It took, I mean, it took a while to get the skills really going to kind of, okay, bring back everything I've learned, you know, as far as, especially, you know, when you're mastering and doing all these other kind of things, we didn't have the greatest environment, but, you know, and then her learning like, okay, I'm in theater, I'm used to this, but now I'm kind of having to take myself back. And it just took off um, over time. I mean, not really just took off immediately, but over time it just, we started working steadily. And that's you know, great. Was, and really when we started out, it was the good thing was I could record her because that's what I was trained to do. And she didn't have to learn two disciplines at the same time. She wasn't trying to learn how to work a DAW. Right. And I know that for a lot of narrators that get into it, either from acting or from, you know, a completely different field, um, if they weren't in a technological, if, if they weren't in a field that used a lot of current technology, that can be a big hurdle for a lot it's, of people. It's very intimidating. And I mean, especially when I, I learned on Pro Tools and Pro Tools is just, it, it, I think it intimidates a lot of people. Yeah. And I, there's a big push for, you know, Studio One is more user friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have that, but I, I don't use it. But when Tiffany started recording herself, that's what I set her up on. I, it was just easier. It just, it you know, it just made much more sense. And even when I'm kind of like wanting to scratch out music ideas, Studio One is actually easier for setting up all sorts of virtual instruments and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, and I, but I, I can understand. I mean, you want to focus, you want to focus on one discipline you want to be a narrator you want to tell a story you want to be good at that right but at the same time you're kind of like trying to master another discipline which is kind of like a recording i mean you're being a recording engineer yep it, you're also being a producer yeah <laughs> and it and it's only the basics of recording but again if you don't have the background in learning new software really quickly uh it's a big hurdle it it, it really is and I, and I think that was one of the advantages she had was that i was able to she was able not to have to worry about that. Sure, that's and a huge advantage. She didn't have to just direct herself because I was there to give feedback. And again, not that I was, oh, I know all this stuff. I mean, the most experience I had with audiobooks was at the time, um, is again, my first wife, Wendy, was a huge Harry Potter fan. Mm. <laughs> and when book five came out, um, Order of the Phoenix, we were at Costco and saw the CDs. Uh-huh. I was like, let's get this. Hey, it's Costco. They have everything. And, you know, hey, it's probably cheaper here. Let's do it. So we ended up getting that audiobook, And then we ended up getting the rest of the series, you know, especially as the other ones came out. And we would listen to them regularly. And it got to a point where even I was able to start to be able to tell, that was a pickup. Isn't that funny how that works out? You, you listen to it long enough and you go, oh, I heard that. And it was like, I hadn't even done an audiobook yet, but I could certainly, I could hear certain subtle changes. And yeah. it wasn't like I was listening on high-end equipment. I could hear certain subtle changes. Like, I think that was something he went back. And, you know, and I was always in my mind, like, I wonder what, how they go about recording this. I mean, is it, you know, I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But it was still kind of, 
just the engineering, recording engineering side of me was thinking, I'm like, God, this is 20 something hours. How does he do this? Does he just sit there and read it? I mean, I mean, does he do the character voices all in the flow or does he do those separate and they put it together? I, I didn't know how exactly they did it. Right. And, um, but at, it was still always in my mind, but we kind of obviously figured it out as we went along and it was just, you know, and it was kind of like, uh, just bizarre that I'm thinking like, all these times I had these questions and now this is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, so, yeah. so, so is that what you're doing now full time? Yeah. I mean, it's, we set ourselves up as a business around, I think 2014 and we became airbending media productions, LLC. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out what, what company, what we needed, we need a business name. And we were, and it started with me and my son, because again, when I was essentially a single father, um, I spend most of my time watching Nickelodeon, <laughs> you know, and people, I mean, and people, we talk about these great shows and I'm like, yeah, I, well, I Carly last night was really good. <laughs> it was just, you know, that's just kind of where my life was. I mean, it was, you know, that's my great. wife, she was in one room and she's fixated on, you know, she has certain routines she has to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And my son and I would be in another room and, you know, he was four or five just, and, so that's what we watched. I mean, I could tell totally you totally understandable SpongeBob episode up to a certain year. Yep. Uh, and sadly enough, I enjoyed them. I don't think that's so, sad at all. Yeah. I got to tell you, I could I could recite a lot of SpongeBob episodes myself, or not recite them, but at least remember them. Uh, yeah, and, and, I and, and I don't even have a kid that I can blame that for. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is actually a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know Tiffany thought I was insane. She Wait till you see what Squidward I mean, does. When our daughter was born, I was actually in the hospital and she's like, hey, we're, you know, had a moment to ourselves and we put the TV on in the hospital room. And what do you want to watch? I'm like, I have no idea what's on. And I was like, you know, goes past the Nickelodeon channel. I was like, oh, that I know. And <laughs> they had a show on there that came on called The Legend of Korra, which was actually a sequel to another show they had done, which I didn't watch. But I remember being on when we used to watch Nickelodeon when my son was really small called Avatar, The Last Airbender. Ah. But we didn't really watch it because it was just, it was a serial and we didn't get come in till late. So but that's where that's the airbending comes from. Yeah. And it, but I ended up going back and I watched the original series, you know, and I was just like, this is so amazing. This is so good. And then I introduced it to Tiffany. So when she relocated out here, suddenly she figured out what I had figured out years ago. Sometimes watching regular TV, what you didn't think about when you were just watching it on your own and then you have kids in the room, suddenly certain, certain things start <laughs> registering like, wait, I have a kid in the room. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's not what we want. So we put the show on and next thing you know, she, who she thought I was insane on my comics or my cartoon fixation because, and I love cartoons because even back in college, when I was a senior, I actually did a senior thesis on the birth of the first animated cartoon. Wow, first electric guitar, first animated cartoon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you are a history buff. <laughs> so I did that, and it was just, um, I actually won an award for that paper, Best Senior Thesis in my section. That's great, that's great. <laughs> Inducted into the National History Society or something, like, you know. Cool. Um, so, yeah, you know, I loved the cartoons and everything, and Tiffany watched it, and it was just a great drama. I mean, it's the great hero story. I mean, like Star Wars and everything else, you know, this hero has to come up and learn and grow and then take on this big evil and you know all this other kind of stuff so we were kind of throwing out names and you know she's like i kind of like the initials amp and i was i can't remember we came up with all sorts of nonsense and i just threw out airbending media something you know 
she's like, you know what? I actually like that. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> kind of makes sense. I mean, we are kind of working with sound waves and that kind of vibrates through the air. Sure, <laughs> so, yeah. So we went, went for it. And we still actually, people see us and you can always kind of tell where people are coming from. Like, I really liked your company name. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So do you guys both work uh, primarily or entirely at home or do you go to yeah. studios at all to record stuff or engineer stuff? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're it's we have a sound booth um, around 2014 when we really realized we're serious. Like, uh, I think it was 2013. Wendy had to go into a nursing home, and then she passed away in 2014. So, you know, after going through that was a trial year, a, tr- a trying year, I should say. No doubt. At the same time, it was also a growth year because that was the first year we went to APAC, and then we also um, we got our sound booth, uh, Studio Bricks. I think mm-hmm. Stephen was really big on them and we met him at APAC and we talked to him and it was really got great because at the time they were trying to move into the American market because I guess they're based out of Spain mm-hmm. and it was so nice because they threw in one of the bricks um, actually they put our business logo that we had designed they put it on our booth oh wow that's great <laughs> no extra charge it was like this is actually really cool yeah that's great I looked, I looked into Studio Bricks um, because I had heard a lot of really good things about them. I ended up, I'm not quite done. I'm hoping to be done this weekend building my own booth um, just for, mostly for cost reasons um, because all of the big name manufacturers of um, the prefab booths, they're, they're just so expensive. And I'm hoping that mine will be as effective as keeping out unwanted sound, but I'm not going to know until I get everything in there. Yeah, and yeah, it's the thing is like, and but hopefully, even if it's not perfect, you can tweak it without necessarily having to. This is a total failure. You'd be like, oh, wait a minute, I can. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that, that's my hope. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but I mean, anyway, I always wanted. To, I, I my house. I had like a huge basement, and one it has a. And when I bought the house at the time, I was like, oh, I just love to build a recording studio down here. And of course, I'm still waiting for that. It seems like every time <laughs> it comes. Up. But I had this night, I mean, with these tall ceilings, I even have a drum kit downstairs. I have wow. like bass guitars, analog synths, keyboard controllers, you name it. I'm like, I have a recording studio just waiting. Yeah, I, I would love to have that kind of space uh, to do exactly that. I'll, I have space in theory, but everything over the years has kind of migrated to the basement, so I don't <laughs> actually have the space. Basement I, creep, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is oh, how to, you know, getting from one end to the other is, it's basically like going through an Indiana Jones type obstacle course. Yeah. But, but you do have, downstairs. but you do have your so, studio bricks booth. And so that's what's been working for you for several years now. Yeah. And I mean, Tiffany loves it. I mean, we started and moved in one room. And then when our son, you know, when kids get older, we put the son in one room and then the, our daughter moved into another big room as she outgrew her in baby room. So we have another small room, but it's actually more inside and, and it's a little more isolated because we live just south of Dulles Airport. Oh. And that is just, I mean, we not all the time, but sometimes planes just really come in low, yeah. especially if there's a lot of cloud cover. And for a while there, I was convinced that if I went outside, there would be some man standing on my roof with those orange sticks just waking them <laughs> in because it was just, they were coming, I mean, literally sometimes the house would just shake. I'm like, what the heck? That's you know? Yeah, I, I get those every once in a while here in Tucson. Um, we've got both Tucson International Airport and Davis Monthan Air Force Base. And um, usually, you know, jets are up there and not that bad. But every once in a while, they do some kind of exercises out of the Air Force Base. 
and they come up here. I'm just south of the um, of the Catalinas, and they I see them banking around the Catalinas, and it's like window rattling in in my house here. <laughs> so when they when they stay down at the base, eh, sometimes they bleed in, sometimes they don't. Sometimes I have to stop. Sometimes you can't really hear it. Uh, but when they get up this way, holy cow, I'm, I'm afraid that with this house, everything's just going to fall apart. <laughs> so I, I hear yeah. you, but, uh, I, but that sounds yeah, great. Occasional. Yeah. So, uh, so it sounds great that you've got a good setup there. You do all the work at, uh, at home and do you do any directing? I know that you said that when you guys were starting out, you were helping with the recording. Do you actually do real time directing when Tiffany's narrating or, um, <laughs> Or is it basically just she records on her own and then she gives you the files? Right now she records on her own and I, I edit and master hers. And then I have a bunch of other outside clients. I think a couple of years ago we started getting to a point where she was able to take on her own recording that freed up time for me to take on outside work. That's good. So I do a lot of editing and mastering for different narrators. Um, and uh, which has just been, it's been a lot of fun because it's, you know, you work with one voice for so long. And then you kind of get a different idea of how others approach a story, how they approach characters, how they kind of just kind of get a different working relationship with people. And I've just worked with some really talented people. So lucky in that regards. I mean, well, I was uh, going to bring it up later, but since you kind of went in that direction now, I will say that I know that you have worked with some very talented people because um, the person who introduced me to you at APAC was Nancy Peterson, who just won an Audi for a book that she did. And oh, I totally deserved. I, oh my god! And I believe that you had a part in uh, the final product there. I I I don't know how much my. I mean, Nancy was that was an amazing story. I remember that was the first time I'd worked with her. Um, last year at APAC through Caroline McLaughlin, she 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 met Clayton and she dragged me over. She goes, "Here, I need to you need to meet him." And I was like, "Okay, hi." You know, I'm I'm not. When I go to these things, I'm not the most outgoing person. I mean, I'm actually just kind of in the background. You know, I let Tiffany do her thing. Um, she's the theater major, and you know, these are her people. And I'm just kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, hi, yeah. I just, I'm just here. Nice to meet you. Um, and uh, so I met Clayton, and then about a month or so later, he calls me up. He's like, I have a book that's being narrated by Nancy Peterson. Would you like to do it? And first reaction is, oh. Oh, okay, uh, you know, like the fear, like, okay, I don't want to mess this up, you know, <laughs> so, right, like, people right. are wanting to pay you, you know, because I, Tiffany never paid me. Every time I was like, I do all this work for you. She goes, but I pay you in love. I'm like, this is paying the bills. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. But she's like, but it's love. I'm like, yeah, okay. So, um, so there was kind of a little nervous. You're like, okay, there's that kind of like, am I really, is this, I mean, this is what I do now, but am I really at that level? But, um, to where I can start taking on outside work. Um, I had worked with another narrator, Ann Flosnick, and she's local, but she's been doing this for 20 years. And she's another, she's just brilliant. And, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I actually have a publisher and you say, here's the narrator, here's the book, can you do it? But I got into that book and it was just, it was an amazing story. And Nancy was just incredible. I don't think even at the time, I wasn't sure. I mean, I had never, I mean, never been associated with anything Audi related. I mean, there's been some of like, that would be interesting to submit. But um, when he calls me up like a year, uh, almost a year later, but he calls me up and says, it was nominated. I mean, there's part of me that's like, yeah, obviously it was so, it was just an amazing story. And the way she told that story and just the way she did, I mean, it's like almost, I work with a lot of female narrators because I think it's just 
maybe because of my wife and she does the romance and groups and people kind of sure maybe through that. Mm-hmm. But it's like everyone has a certain type of heroine that they play. And Nancy's got this strong heroine type character. And she just, there's a certain little vulnerability to her performance mm-hmm. and everything I've done with her. And it's just, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's just, and she just has this way of her voice, especially uh, during very dramatic or emotional scenes where her voice can just break in a certain way. And it's just, and she was able to capture that. And this story was great because it went back and forth in time. It was like present day. And then we're going back to around World War II with the Nazis. And of course you throw Nazis and you've got the great villain. So it's work, you know? um, right. At any point you're expecting Indiana Jones to show up. But <laughs> apparently he didn't make it in this book, but it was still it was back and forth. And the way she was transitioning into these characters, I mean, it was just an amazing. I was, and I kept, I would finish for the day and I would tell Tiffany like, oh yeah, this story is great. And this is what's going on. And, da, 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 da. and then we'd I'd master it. And the next thing I know, we're listening to it on our Bluetooth speaker. I'm like, you gotta listen to this. This is really good. And, um, yeah, it did not surprise me that she won. I mean, I didn't know what exactly she was up against. I mean, I saw like the name I recognized was John Reese Davis, bring back the whole Indiana Jones thing. But, yeah. you know, he's like, you know, that's solid to me. But at the same time, you know, I know his voice, you know, and I was like, wow, she's up against that. And but it didn't surprise me when she won. I mean, it was just amazing. I've done several books for her since then. And a couple other ones I've like I told her, I was like, you know, this book I just finished for earlier in the year called uh, was, was it, uh, Daughter of Nothing. You know, I was like, this is a really good book. It was creepy, but in a good way, uh-huh. a different genre. But it was like, you know, it was disturbing, but it was the kind of disturbing where you're like, it's just you're drawn into it. And, you know, and I was like, you should talk to the author because it's like, I think self-published or something. I'm like, you might want to consider putting this at least up for consideration for an audio because I'm like, I don't know what the competition is like in this specific category, but this was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's so we'll great. That, that's that's great that uh, that you got to be associated with the winner. Were you there at the Audis? I really wish I had been. We had talked about it, and we were kind of like torn because we're like there was something else Tiffany had already committed to that was like the day before, mm-hmm. uh, before a or before APAC. Um, so that uh, for a bunch of romance na- narrators, it was a big thing they had gotten together to do, and she's part of that group, and. Uh. It was, shops and then you know we're like okay we have to stay an extra night we have two kids there's you know and it was yeah, kind of like a lot of, lot of variables I, there i was at home and i'm just like we should have gone <laughs> i mean i and i know how this is i'm, like, I'm the kind of like if it had been tiffany i would have just done anything it's me and i'm like eh, i don't know yeah. <laughs> no i understand that that would have been great to see it though to be there for the you know, and I, and I, i'm looking at these pictures and i'm like i wish i was there <laughs> <laughs> I had my hair really nice that day. It was really nice and, you know, gelled properly, you know? So, yeah. yeah. But, but at the same time, I also, I'm not really a formal person. So there is that sort of kind of like nerves about actually being in a ritzy thing, you know, with a bunch of, I'm not, I don't feel fancy. I feel like totally insecure in that kind of whole environment. Yeah. No, I but, understand different environment, but, yeah, uh, but, but still know, it's, it's great that you got to be involved on, yeah, on a project they, that won. Yeah, and I, I mean, I like, you know, people like, oh, you know, I'm like, I don't know how much I really added to that. I just didn't want to screw it up mm-hmm. um, because, you know, in the end it comes down, it's the performance, it's it's the voice and it's how they use that voice. And, and it was just a brilliant performance. And I mean, it's just, as I've gotten more and more experience with more and more narrators, it is so fascinating just to hear, um, you know, one of the other first persons I worked, first people I worked with was Suzanne Freeman. Oh, yeah. 
and she's like, well, she was one of my favorite people. I did. I heard her podcast when we were preparing. I listened to her and she referenced me without thinking I would catch it. <laughs> and she was talking about, oh, and there's this married couple and they were saying they were going to go back to their room and I just wanted to throttle him. And I'm like, I look at Tiffany and I'm like, I know she's talking about me. But she's talking about me. And, um, <laughs> which I'm like, she's not telling the story right, you know? <laughs> Like, different you know, perspective, different perspective. It was in 2014 we went. And again, this was like, we, I, I was coming off. It was just a very stressful time. Sure, know, yeah. After the whole year with women deep dying from Huntington's disease, it was, we went to our first APAC. And at the time, they didn't have a central location that everyone stayed at. Uh-huh. So we were kind of staying at a hotel in the village. We didn't really know anybody. We still felt like we were new to this. So at the end, we were kind of like exhausted. I mean, it's just an exhausting experience in general. Oh, yeah. And we ended up back in our room. You know, we would chat with the kids, grab a bite to eat. Again, we were newbies at all this, and we were trying to learn it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, I didn't see that's what we were going to do this year, and this was like last year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, well, it was, like, if nothing else, it was a great story from Suzanne so that she could encourage other people to get out there. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. So there was, a, there was a good outcome. Oh, yeah. she's. I, I love working with her, and she's just, she's, she, she's I mean, we... I think we kind of hit it off because she and I have these random kind of brains, especially when we get on email and we just go off in different directions and yet we can track with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, my wife reads these correspondence and she just laughs and she's shaking her head because, you know, we're just all over these places. And we somehow, I don't know how it started, but we started a running joke where, um, like the big celebrity from here in this area, especially if you're in music is Dave Grohl, mm-hmm. who, and you know he's from northern virginia and he always talks about you know northern virginia and it's one of the first episodes maybe that sonic highways thing so and um i'm like yeah it's kind of weird because when i think about it he would have been a senior when we were freshmen and oh my god you know (laughs) (laughs) so i once had told Susanna's story i'm like yeah so the closest i came with friend is i have a buddy of mine my guitar teacher and a really good friend of mine he had another friend who owned a rehearsal studio and i think it was back around 99 2000 the foo fighters were rehearsing for a um a new album <laughs> so my friend Vinny gets asked he's like he's asked by his friend and he's like can you can you unlock the studio for him the, the rehearsal space you know he's like okay who's it gonna be he's like I can't tell you that he's like, just just tell me who it is so his friend says it's, okay it's the Foo Fighters so I the joke became between me and Suzanne is that I have a, a mime friend with a guy who opened the door for Dave Grohl <laughs> you know and, and, and of course, it didn't help that at the same time, my sister was working at a rental car in, at Dulles Airport, and she actually delivered twice a rental cars to Dave Grohl. Uh-huh. Probably opened the door for him there, too. So that was my <laughs> – and it just became like this whole sort of running joke that we kind of work into everything we do. And uh, even sent pictures when they opened up a new venue here uh, at the Anthem. is a new place in D.C. on the waterfront. And great place to see a concert. And they opened that – they were the – premier act, you know, hometown boy coming back. Yeah. And I like sent a picture to her from the show. Like, Check it out. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> with Dave, you know? <laughs> so, great that you found something to riff off. Um, I know yeah. that I had a great chat with Suzanne here and then, uh, I was really glad that I got a chance to meet her at APAC. Um, there were a few people who I have talked to that I had wanted to meet in person, but haven't yet. So I was glad that I, I had a chance to talk with Suzanne for a while. She seems great. And then oh. helping out at the Audis with her and PJ doing the red carpet thing was, was a lot of fun. So, um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's great. Now I know who that story was about. I didn't know who it was about at the time. Yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to get her. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in your engineering work, now that you've been working with other people besides your wife, um, who only pays you in love and you need to pay some bills, um, what do you, what do you run across? What kind of situations do you run across with, um, narrators, good situations, bad situations, um, as you're working on a book with somebody? I think, I think it's going to depend on the mood I'm in during that day, whether it's a situation or <laughs> <You know? laughs> depends on um, whether you've had any cider yet. Right. Yeah. And, um, and some mornings I really want to start one early, you know, it's like, but it's, it's, I try to be kind of open-minded. My, I try not to get too worked up. I mean, I think the biggest difficulty I've had or challenge, I should say, is when I work with narrators or shall I say authors who decide to narrate their own book. Oh, I'm sure and that there are some situations that crop up there. there. There are some that can do it, but in the business book, you, I mean, and I understand people, they write these books and they're, a lot of times they're public speakers or motivation, whatever, and they want to hear their voice. That's the voice they hear when they write it. Mm-hmm. But they, one thing they don't have they, they, is they don't have the technique. They don't really understand. They don't have the pacing. They're probably used to being in front of crowds of people. And that was like, when Tiffany started, and I've heard a lot of this with a lot of theater majors, you're so used to being on stage and projecting so that even the people in the back of the room can hear you. Yep. You know, you're, you, everything is a little bit amplified and, you know, bringing it in to a much more intimate level where you're talking to a single person. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's learned. It's not something you just have that innate ability. And you, and I, you know, I work with a producer and, you know, we'll put Jill, you know, get these people there insistent on narrating their own book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, there's just, you, you kind of get into that situation where based on the skill level of the person involved, is this something that I can say, this needs to be fixed. And do they have that skill level to actually fix this? Right. It's not just always a misread or just kind of a slurring of the words. It's, it's the approach like this line. I know you're building up to this line. This needs, this needs space. It needs to breathe. You need to give it a moment to let this thing sink in mm-hmm. and boom, it blow right through it. And again, they're probably used to having a crowd and you can read the crowd and maybe that will give you that. Okay. This, this obviously hit a nerve. Let's let it sink in a little bit and then we continue, but they're not used to being, alone in a room with a mic and not having that feedback. Right. And that's kind of always, that's been the biggest challenge I've had over the, I've had like a couple books that have been like that. Um, and then they, a lot of times they work with engineers and then they include all the studio chatter back and forth. But I'm like, why, why, why couldn't they just stop the tape? Well, oh. look at the disc. <laughs> you know, why can they just, I don't, I don't need to hear about this and all these other kinds of things. But other than that, it's really, with every narrator, it's the same thing. Each one has a different pacing. Each one has a different, you know, you kind of have to get used to their little ticks or maybe the way they do certain words. And, you know, um, you get used to like, okay, I know where their mouth noises are. They're located around this band. And I, you know, I, like maybe some will have a breath, they'll do a line and then they're just <gasps> catch breath. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, they're, you're, they're, they're an end breather, mm-hmm. you know? And then, you know, some of them have like, it's almost like they're swimming. They take big, deep breath before plunging underwater. Yeah. You know, and you kind of get, you kind of have to get read that. And every time I start with someone that I've never worked with before, it's trying to, trying to get used to, trying to get used to the rhythm, their pacing. And not only that, but how do they work? You know, because I'm kind of, my, my objective is 
I don't want to, I don't need to necessarily always have them accommodate me. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a cog to the creative process or the flow or whatever they need. So it's kind of like when I work with someone, it's like, okay, I can do pickups. I can send them to you as I go along. I can send them to you at the end. I don't want to disrupt your flow. What works for you? You know, how mm -hmm. you want to approach this? Here's my system, you know, but at the same time, trying to be accommodating because like i said you know maybe it's because tiffany is a theater major and there is a certain creative process and even i have that creative process in a different field sure yeah you know trying to respect that and understanding like you know there is no not everything's going to be perfect and it's my job to just try to blow off steam you know get on skype and send a message upstairs to my wife in the booth like Dah! you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know make it work you know and or yeah you know it and of course, I've never had anyone that's been hard to work with, you know, okay, this is, you know, just fix this and all this other kind of stuff. And it's always trying to, I try to create it so that it's a collaborative thing. Like I said, when I was thing with Nancy, it's, she got the audio. I just didn't want to mess it up. And that's right, kind of how right. I approach these things. You know, it's your name that's going on there. My name's nowhere in there. Well, that, uh, that sounds like a, a really good approach to me um, coming at it from my perspective, just based on what I hear from a lot of engineers, uh, and people who have been doing it for a long time in various different fields, uh, of audio engineering, not just audiobooks, but, um, the lighter touch that you can get away with the better. I mean, you want to have the effect that you want to have, but if you can get the effect with a lighter touch than a heavier touch, that's what you want to do. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, that's, I try not to over, I mean, I've probably been a guilt as guilty as any, especially when you start out, you, you can over-process things. You can maybe use too, you know, too much compression, too much. And at the same time, I'm kind of like a, I'm a huge fan and probably one of my favorite bands, Led Zeppelin. And every time you follow their history, like, the dynamics, the light, the shade. And I kind of like <laughs> to keep that when they do audiobooks. It's There's a certain kind of, you know, depending on how the character is or how the scene is playing out, you know, there's quiet moments and there's moments that are in your face. And of course, the narrator can work the microphone a certain way to kind of give you that. But, you know, I, I don't like to have things so squashed where you kind of lose that. You I mean, I kind of like the idea of like at certain moments, even though they're probably on a subway with earbuds on wearing sneakers with dresses and, you know, how they dress when they do business here in D.C. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, but you still like to think they're sitting by and they're leaning in to hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and there are certain moments. And again, you, I, you, you try to preserve that, not just squash the hell out of it. So that, you know, <laughs> it's just loud. It has to compete with all these things. And all of a sudden, you know, you get into the whole music loudness wars that people complain about. But, you know, and I get it. It's one voice. You, it does need to, kind of, it needs to compete with background noises. I mean, Tiffany listens to him maybe when she's in the kitchen and she's cooking dinner. There's a lot of people listen to it in background, but you try not to think of it as background. You kind of like to think that they're actually engaged. Sure, yeah. And, you know, with it, with the right story, and again, I've noticed that with the right story, the right narrator, and just things click. Like I, my, like when Nancy won that audio, there was just kind of two things, a great story, a great performance, it clicks. And you like to think that anyone who's listened to it is focused on it. They're mm -hmm. not just kind of like backgrounding it, Yeah, you know? And I kind of like to think that I mean, because, you know, I kind of think of it this way. If I'm record, if I'm, if I'm editing and suddenly I'm worried I missed something because I'm so engaged in the story, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I haven't tagged a pickup in a while. Here. Did I miss something? Or, you know, because yeah. I'm just so engaged in the story as much as anything, you know, right, right. It, but it's kind of like, you know, you listen to a little, did it pull me out? Nothing's pulled me out. I, I'm, you know, I'm in there. So, and that's kind of, it's just, 
you know, and I, like I said, I try to preserve as much of that dynamic, as much as that performance as, as I can, hoping that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's great. It sounds like a good, yeah, it's uh, kind of one of those things like, goal. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lots of, there's some really, you know, engineers who've done this for a longer time and, you know, had, you know, much more experience and, you know, I feel like, still feel like almost like that interloper who's just kind of fallen into this through circumstances, <laughs> you know, so I'm kind of like, I don't, you know, really, you know, I, I mean, some of these groups, I don't even like participating because I don't want to actually say something that kind of gets me like, why, why would you do that? Why do you do it that way? <laughs> I don't know. I just, because well, I want to shut up. When it comes, <laughs> when it comes to social media, I would say, um, nothing wrong with participating. Just tread lightly and realize some people have hot button issues. So I just, I, I, I like Don Barnes's groups because I did learn, I, I, you know, I, he does two that I think he meet, moderates and mm-hmm. that's. Studio One and the RX, right, and, right. and RX is just—it's a, a great software program, and I kind of like to slurk in there and kind of like see what people are saying or what problems they've um, encountered. Like, am I the only one who's seen this, or is this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still kind of like gun shy. Like, it's really where you think people—you know—people talk about the anonymity of social media. You can say whatever the hell you want. No one knows it's you. You're not really interacting with a real person. You're just words on a screen, and people just have—you know—no tact. Yet at the same time, I still feel like I'm like on a video and everyone's like going to read everything I say and know it's Yeah, the anonymity (laughs) in the kind of groups that we're talking about is uh, not quite as pronounced. And, you know, people know who you are and it's a relatively small industry still. So, um, you know, word gets around. But it sounds to me like you've got a you've got a good handle on how to how to interact with um, the different things that you know and being willing to recognize that you don't know everything. So, so what kind of advice do you have for people who are at the point where they are about to hire an editor and engineer for the first time? For the narrator, from the narrator side, I mean, find someone who's that you can really, you want to get someone that you can communicate with. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird because I saw like a thing, like the grouchiest professions are engineers, like audio engineers are up there. That's some <laughs> of those curmudgeon types, you know, and, you know, of course, you know, my wife would be like, yeah, you fit into that. And so would my kids, but you know, it depends on the day, you know, but, um, you want to be able to have a report. You want to be able to work with someone who can work with your process, who kind of understand, I mean, I should say that, you know, they work with me, but really that's kind of what the approach is. Someone that you can work with that, you know, you can trust that they're listening to you as well, mm-hmm. you know, because again, I look at it this way. I mean, um, I'm not here to pat myself on the back. I'm not here. I mean, my obvious, I want you to be successful. I, I want the book you're doing. I want people to buy it. I want people to hear it and enjoy it. And I want them to be like, wow, that was an amazing narrator. I want to hear what else this person can do. I mean, that's what I want. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's the success of the narrator that is my, you know, that I focus on. And you kind of want to make sure someone's like that. You don't want to necessarily get with someone who's going to criticize you about every little thing you do. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to be done this way or this way or this way is this way. I try to be flexible. And that's what I was trying to say earlier is I think having worked in a different industry where customer service, you know, like when I was younger, it was retail and then other things where I had to deal with customers who might've been scared because like, we I do government contracting. We're going in and people are worried about their jobs, even though I don't have the right to do anything. But, you know, we're doing process analysis and do all these things. You kind of get an idea of reading people and understanding, you know, you want them to feel like they're being heard. And again, their name's going on it. 
<laughs> and uh, you want to make, you know, you don't want to do something that's going to like detract from that. You don't want to do something that's going to associate their name with a bad product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even though it's, you know, and you, so you just want to be, and again, that's, I like, one of the things I, I mean, I have like my standard pricing sheet when someone contacts me, but at the same time, and when I con uh, communicate with someone, I'm still going to be me the way I am, especially with email, I can kind of go off in tangents and just whatever pops into my head will sometimes make it onto the page. And some people respond to that. They like that because you, you, you kind of get a human connection. You feel like, okay. And you kind of feel like you're building up sort of a collaboration. You know, I'm here for you. I'm here to, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to get it done. We're going to, it's going to be a great product. And you, you know, people are going to love to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think people need. You, you want, I mean, it's anyone can sit there and say, I can edit, I can improve. I think you, but you do want to work with someone, I mean, who is willing to work with you, not just take your product, turn it around, throw it back at you, and say, Here you go, and here's your invoice. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, I, it sounds like your your process for any one given book is going to vary slightly depending on who you're dealing with because it sounds like you're so flexible on working with them and how they work. I, I try to be. I mean, I have like certain things that I have to go to. I have a certain procedure that I that works for me that I can go to, but I also realize that I need to change it depending on the situation, depending on the, you know, depending on how this person works and I try to be as flexible as possible. I'll give options. Like, this is what I can do. Like I did another book where like, when I tell someone I, when I give pickups, I'm like, just send the pickups back to me as a single track. And what I can do is I can use the strip silence feature, break all the pickups up and put them in as necessarily in the right spaces working from back to front. Mm -hmm. Well, the narrator, she didn't do that. And she's like, Oh, I can take it. I can go back. I can do this. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll make it work. You know, Mm -hmm. work together next time. You know, but I'm, I'm not going to send you going back to do everything. <laughs> yeah. Know? We'll work with it. You know, it was a bit of a challenge, but not challenge that it was hard. It was just maybe it added a little bit of time to the process. But in the end, it was, you know, you need to focus on storytelling. Don't yeah. worry about this area. If you have questions, contact me about anything. If you are unsure, I mean, if you have questions, even if it's about how to use your, if you, if I know anything about the software you're using, Drop me a line, contact me. You know, I can be just let me know help. I don't sit there and say I'm on the clock and I'm going to bill you for asking questions or anything like that. Right. And you know, and we'll work and we'll you know whatever comes up, we'll we'll adjust to it and then eventually we'll get into a process. I work with another narrator, um, Emily Lawrence, who's just I mean she's amazingly talented, and she's I mean I've done several books for her. And I think it seems like every time I have a flake out, it seems like it's on her book or something. I, whether I'm posting something, it seems like she's going to think I'm the biggest idiot in the world because it seems like every weird thing that I can do wrong happens on her books. <laughs> but there is, again, but at the same time, you know, she, she comes back. But at the same time, it's kind of like I have a process. I know what I, you know, I can give her, okay, you're giving me this. I can turn it around in this amount of time and do this and this and this. And it becomes a good flow. And at the same time, I mean, she's paying me to do these things, but at the same time, it's kind of like I'm getting paid to listen to some really talented people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's yeah. cool. That's uh, that's kind of the way that I look at my job as a narrator is one of the great perks is that I get to read books that I wouldn't necessarily know. Of course, you got to take the good with the bad. And every once in a while you run across a book and you go, 
Oh boy. Um, oh, yeah. wish I didn't have to wish I didn't have to spend 20, 40, 60 hours on this book, but I want I've 60 hours of my life back. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but on on the other hand, you know, take the good too and the good is that I've gotten to read some books and learn some things that I probably wouldn't have picked up on my own. Almost definitely wouldn't have picked up on my own. So yeah. um so that's kind of a kind of a plus and you get to hear the storytelling and as a history buff, you like that. Yeah, it is yeah. I mean, and I've gone all sorts of genres. I mean, I've heard more women say some inappropriate things in my earphones than I never hear in my life, and I'm getting money for it. So that's kind of cool, I guess. You know, when you meet him in purpose or meet him in person, you're like, okay, I don't want to make eye contact. I heard what you said. You know, oh, that's, that's not funny. a very nice word. No, yeah. That's <laughs> funny. That's. Uh, but you know, at the same, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, and again, that's kind of one of those things you try to, you know, I some things I never thought that that's what I would be doing, let alone, you know, my wife does some of those books, and it's just kind of like people are listening to you. Sure. No, no. <laughs> what about I, the I children? It. You know, but it's kind it, of. It, but at the same time, you know, it's it, you're professional about it. And again, it's kind of like, okay, you know, it doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter this. You know, there are some things that you're listening to, and you're like, okay, I don't think I've ever. I think the only time I ever had to stop doing something was that probably at the moment of greatest stress and grieving and anxiety, where I just cannot finish a book. Yeah probably a little too graphic for me. And I felt bad about it because it was like, you know, I'm looking back, you know, at the time now, it was probably the first outside project I had done. And I'm like, you know, I don't think it was as much the subject matter as it was a culmination of things in life that were just kind of bearing down at that time. Sure. Yeah. Stuff Tiffany was doing, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I'm kind of looking back. I'm like, yeah, I think there was anxiety. There's the grieving, there's the anger and all that's five stages. And all. I don't know. I mean, whenever I forget the five stages of grieving, I, I, there's a Simpson episodes I watch. I'm like, oh yeah, that's when our home was dying. But that's where I'm at now. Okay. Um, yeah. So, that that all uh, enters into it. I'm sure. And, yeah. And, and, and there are some things where I'm just like, okay. And the self-help ones, you're always kind of like, okay, are you really qualified to give someone this advice? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Why? But, you know, but you kind of, again, you still have to kind of, okay, they're paying, they want this, they want a quality product. There are people who are interested in this. Yep. Don't care about my opinion, you know, but so far I've been lucky. I think most everything I've done, you know, I've, I try to find something that's enjoyable about it or, you know, everything. Is it the performance? Is it the, sometimes it's, I like to work with this person. So. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And, um, and it's just one of those things about this, this business is that there's, um, there's good and bad and, uh, you just take it all overall. I think it's a, it's a net positive. It sounds like it is for you too. Yeah, I, but again, yeah, I think it's for anything you do. I think yep. there's going to be, I mean, you know, there's no such thing as a job that is peaches or, you know, rainbows and sunshines all yeah. the time. Nope, I, to- I totally agree. Work is, work is work, and if you're lucky enough to overall enjoy your work, then you're ahead of the game. And, you know, and in reality, I do. I mean, there's other things I would like to get into. I mean, there are times where I'm editing a book or some things, and I'm like, you know, I actually wouldn't mind really doing the casting thing because there are so many voices I've heard and sometimes you get a feel for like this person would really be good. But oddly enough, I've never been like one of those voracious readers. I'm like the only one in my family who's not a voracious reader. And yet here <laughs> I am editing audiobooks for a living. And you know, Tiffany was more into that, but she again, she at this point she's like, I, I read books every day for a living. I don't always have time to read for entertainment. Yeah, I feel like I hardly ever have time to read for entertainment anymore. Yeah, yeah and it's like, you want to kind of you want that time to yourself you want to be able to kind of but at the same time you know i'm kind of like thinking like i wish i had the time because you know, i would like to think of wow this book would really be good for nancy or tiffany this would be a really good vehicle for you or you know this one needs a british narrator and i love working with Anne. i would love to be in that position 
to be able to say, you know, this is because, you know, like Anne Flossnick, she's, you know, she's the, I mean, not just doing British actions. She's actually British. And every time she does a book, I swear, just the way she does it, I mean, you always feel like you're sitting around, especially when she does period pieces. And she feel like you're like, she you feel like you're sitting around a campfire and she could begin every story if she wanted to, like once upon a time, without any <laughs> sense of iron, you know, and because you're just like, okay, Anne's talking to, well, go, go on, go on. That's know? good. Well, you you're, know, you're still did, young. Yeah. You're still young. There's time to get into casting yet. She did a book on, on, on fertilization and all these other kind of things, but it starts with the egg. And I'm like, I really feel like I'm totally in touch with my ovaries now. <laughs> I don't have them, but yet I feel so much more sympathetic than I ever did before. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, so Sean, where can people find you if they are looking to get a hold of you for some audiobook editing and mastering work? The best thing, you can do, I mean, I do have a website, but it is in flux, and it seems like it's been in flux for years when we first started. I actually did a blog post, and it just now time has just escaped, and it needs a serious overhaul. But there is a website, and it does have some information, has links to email me. We actually have a business phone. When we actually get a call on it, we're shocked because most of it goes through email. So what's the, um, what's the website? I'm on Facebook. I what, mean, wait, I'm, wait, wait, wait. What's the website? Uh, AirbendingMediaProductionsLLC.com. Okay. And uh, and your contact info is there? Yeah. And, you know, I'm at Sean at Airbending. I, okay, I admit I have the most ridiculous email address. Sean, that's the S-E-A-N at AirbendingMediaProductions.com. If you can actually type in Airbending Media Productions without messing it up. You're much better at this than I am. <laughs> um, and I'm also on Facebook. We have we do have an uh, Airbending Media page on Facebook. Um, I'm actually just trying to get more active. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm getting more. But you know, you contact me through Facebook, or you know, I'm on there. You can even contact me. I mean, Sean Williams. I don't know how many there are. I'm afraid to look. Um, <laughs> but you know, there will either be a picture of me, or there will be a picture of one of my kids. Most of my Facebook is dumb stuff my kid does so that years from now when it comes up on on this day i'll have blackmail as he gets older <laughs> so i would love to do because my son's 13 now and he's just like oh. so something will come up when he was five years old and i'm like hey remember this yeah that's, that's <laughs> great i'm sure he's looking so forward to that oh i know and i'm going to be vicious what happens to my daughter so i'm like you know we're ready i mean that's the only reason i use social media when they get to an age where i can't post anything about them anymore i'll probably end up disappearing <laughs> All right. Well, this is great, Sean. Thank you so much for coming into the speakeasy. I hope the blueberry ale was good. Oh, it was. Always is. That's good. My, <laughs> now I uh, need a nice sandwich. My virgin <laughs> Ricky was was um, good. Not quite what I'm used to here in the speakeasy, but uh, but it was good. Um, so thanks again for coming in. I really appreciate your time. And, uh, and I will uh, tag you on social media when this comes out. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Sean Williams for stopping in. I really appreciated hearing how his personal journey with all of its ups and downs led to his career in the audiobook industry. And I hope you enjoyed it too. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Special thanks this week to T. Waits for leaving a five-star review on iTunes with some very nice comments. 
I'm pretty sure that that handle belongs to Todd Waits, a voice talent out in Texas. Todd, thanks very much for listening. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. You donate per episode, but don't worry about breaking the bank if I decide to publish an episode a day. You can set a monthly maximum, and you can cancel at any time. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!